patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everybody and welcome to another episode of friends and fellow citizens i'm your host sherman tylowski make sure you subscribe and share this podcast if you haven't already i really appreciate your support uh, today's topic is going to be something of a somewhat of a prediction episode uh, i want to make a pretty bold prediction um, some i think would argue that uh, it's been a long time coming uh, because we've gone about a year of this pandemic, and um, I think this is going to be a really incredibly important subject as we look at some of the short-term and long-term aspects of how to rebuild and recover from the pandemic. And my prediction is this. In terms of the higher education system as we know it, it is going to lose a huge amount of prestige and value after this pandemic, the likes of which we will probably never, ever see again. Um, And I say this as a result of what I've seen so far in the data. I also anticipate that the vaccination process is going to still take a little bit longer. We're still not out at the the end of the tunnel here. I also think that there's been a bit of a change in taste for how people not just view the higher education system, but how they view the people who are running it. I'll give you some stats here, just to kind of give you a sense of where we are nowadays with higher education. According to the Chronicle of Higher Education and other schools that I've commented, take the doctoral program, more than 140 doctoral programs, I believe that are associated with the humanities, are not admitting students for fall 2021. 140. I've actually looked at some of those, uh, including, believe it or not, George Washington University is not accepting political science PhD applications for fall 2021. Just so you know, George Washington University, GW, is blocks from the White House in the heart of D.C., it's it's really astounding. I, I couldn't believe it when I looked it up. Here's something from a Wall Street Journal opinion piece that I found. Uh, this article was about the PhD admissions issue and the applications issue that a lot of humanities programs are having across the, the entire country. And I, I'm going to read you some of these stats here. So during the 2018 to 2019 hiring cycle, there were openings for about 180 junior jobs, roughly 70 postdoctorates, about 60 spots open to those of any level of the from profession. I'm talking about the, um, the, the teaching profession here, uh, the academia aspect. Meanwhile, there were about 450 newly minted PhDs in 2014 alone uh, for this a particular opening. I believe this is for philosophy, uh, for a philosophy teaching position uh, or an academic position, I should say. 450 and only 60 spots available. 
Um, look at history. According to the American Historical Association Career Center, uh, it, it advertised 538 full-time positions for the 2018-2019 school year. 940 new history doctorates were awarded in 2018. Now, as you know, with a PhD program, PhD programs are usually very academic. I mean, people are going into those programs to teach, to conduct research. And, th- and these numbers I'm giving you are before COVID. And now to broaden the timeline a little bit here, in in the 60s and 70s, you have to understand that it was pretty common for students to earn doctoral degrees in f- definitely less time than what people are doing now. In fact, I learned, looked up, according to the Wall Street Journal and other sources, it's about five years. And they worked in these junior academic positions while they were doing the, these dissertations, uh, also according to the article, which I think makes sense. I mean, you're you're getting experience and you're doing what you have been intending to do this entire time. The median time to complete a doctorate in the arts and humanities is more now more than seven years so that's an additional 40% more time to do a degree nowadays compared to the 60s and 70s. This is according to the survey of earned doctorates. And they also say that while more than half of those who enter doctoral programs never finish. You know, I, I, I say these stats because we need to get a sense of where the supply and demand is for academia. I will be one of the first to say that in any kind of education, you need some kind of balance of academia and practicality. Uh, In my master's program, we had a really good mix of academics and practitioners, uh, which who provided these uh, balances and perspectives that are really necessary to any kind of education. And, And I really appreciate that model. And I hope that that model sustains the problem is, if you look at the supply and demand, it's not looking good for academia, especially during the times of COVID. Uh, we're seeing that a lot of people are going to realize that there's just simply not enough positions for a philosophy teaching uh, position or some kind of job. It's just not going to happen. Not to mention the the, the numbers here. Um, when you think about uh, the, the funding that's going to happen, uh, this is going to be really critical throughout the three pillars, I would say, that's going to define my prediction here. My prediction being the higher education system as we know it will lose incredible prestige and value after COVID. I mean, just like a steep drop. And uh, it's it's only the beginning. There's three kinds of funding for universities, generally speaking. There's endowments, there's tuition, and there's government funding and subsidies, you know, funding from the, the public sector. Everyone points out. Everyone points out the endowments. I mean, take Harvard as an example. They had something along the lines of around forty billion dollars in endowments. Now, people are saying, "Like, oh, that's a lot of money," and it is. The problem is when donors make an endowment. There's always going to be stipulations. It can't be spent on anything. It's not just a sum of money. It's not like a stimulus check. You know, it's a fixed amount of money for a particular scholarship with students who have particular qualifications um, or have, have particular standards or you know particular grades or perhaps it's, uh, it's an endowment for a particular building that might not even been built yet. So the stipulations really hinder the endowments. So we can't really rely on the endowments here. Even 
as we see huge numbers come from universities and schools. Um, you have tuition, which obviously clearly is a big, big source of funding, especially for universities who are always trying to increase the cost. And I think everyone knows that we have a huge problem with tuition. And then there's government funding. Tuition and government funding kind of go in tandem here. You got less and less government funding, you're going to have to increase tuition. And that's definitely been a problem before COVID, but especially during the time of the pandemic. Uh, I just read the Idaho State Legislature is in some kind of a funding battle with Boise State University, especially on social justice programs and all the rest, uh, because the state legislature, and just like every single one, has concluded we need to cut where we need to cut. Uh, same thing with Florida. Um, same with every single other state legislature you can think of. They're always facing these massive problems. Each state's going to be a little bit different, but they're all fa- facing a common enemy here. And that is, how do you have fiscal responsibility? Going back to that you know, was one of those principles of Washington's farewell address. Um, now, I think there's these three main pillars of why I believe what we're seeing now is only the beginning of higher education being transformed forever. Okay, Number one is students and faculty, I'm kind of merging them as a group here, are going to have a lot of disputes with university administrations over cost cutting, looking at tuition and layoffs and furloughs. So I've kind of grouped it as a kind of an economic or financial sort of problem here. Um, I do think the rift is growing. Um, I, I think a lot of students especially are going to be very upset at some of these costs that are going to have to be cut across the board. Um, it's not just going to be you know, the, the typical, well, we need to come maybe a program or two. I'm seeing entire departments cut. I'm seeing entire programs being merged into one a department. Um, and the furloughs and layoffs, yeah, that's going to be tough. That's going to be especially tough even for, for those who are more admin, like, you know, the people who uh, run the day-to-day services. Now, not to mention faculty. Even some faculty who probably never thought they would be fired. Uh, have to be removed from their positions because there simply just, just isn't enough money coming in. Um, and, I, and I don't think these disputes are going to go away anytime soon. I'll just give you one example here. Um, more than 1,400, this is according to, uh, I believe it was the Boston Herald or um, another publication um, in the Northeast, uh, North, more than 1,400 University of Vermont faculty, students, staff, and community members signed a no-confidence petition in the leadership of uh, University of Vermont President Suresh Garamella as of uh, Monday afternoon, um, I believe it was sometime about a week or two ago, uh, because of the administration's plan to phase out about 27 academic programs basically either gutting them completely or merging them with something else. And uh, we, I've read recently about how GW students, coming back to D.C. here, upset that the administration has had been poorly run before and are still continuing on these poor operations. And not to mention that the cuts that these schools are making only making the problem worse. But um, that's the first part. That's just the money part. Um, the second part is that useless degrees and resources 
are going to have to be cut. And unfortunately, part of that, there's going to be some of use that are also going to be cut. Uh, I think a good example is uh, support for veterans. Uh, according to a report, one out of three veteran support programs across universities have been cut, have been affected by the pandemic. Uh, but this is what I love in a way about some of these cuts. I'm not saying that the pandemic is a good thing at all, but I do think that we just have way too much useless fat in our higher education system. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to my friends and acquaintances um, when we talk about education, how often I emphasize that we need to get rid of these dumb programs, these programs that don't mean anything. And that I believe actually, because they're so useless, um, only, only hurt those who maybe come from different backgrounds who worked so hard to try to get into school, but because of the capacity that a school has, um, they're not able to major in a subject that's actually useful because it's been given away by a useless degree taken on by maybe some kid who's got very, very rich parents or something who can be able to afford these sort of things. Um, a couple of examples here that I found, let's take the University of Arizona as an example. Um, according to the local news station there, it says the, the budgets of diversity-related programs have been cut by the University of Arizona due to COVID-19 impacts, including the cultural and resource centers. Uh, the Coalition of Black Students and Allies reports a 15% cut to their, um, I believe, is their cultural resource centers, whatever that is. I have no idea what that is. Um, here's another one. Women and Gender Center at Oregon State University is going to reduce its programming as it looks at a 10 to 15% budget cut in response to declining student enrollment. I mean, look, you look at these examples, right? Does anyone really look at them and say, oh, I'm so sorry we don't have one of these resource centers that no one ever cares about. Um, look, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when gender studies programs are cut, LGBT studies are cut. Um, I believe certain sociology and philosophy degrees are completely useless other than maybe for academic purposes, uh, but I don't think they should be around very much. Um, let's make sure that whoever does an anthropology degree is actually someone who can advance the subject and not someone who just does it because it's a degree. It's just not good enough. Combining these two pillars here, here's my thought. I, I believe this is absolutely necessary. Uh, the fact that there's people who, whether they like it or not, are seeing the reality of money. Knowing that to run a school, you have to be profitable. Well, let's take a hypothetical example. Uh, suppose I am an administrator. I look at two programs. One is, let's say, the uh, let's say for an MBA, as an example, or some kind of business degree. And I look at the uh, endowments for that particular program, and then I compare it to the endowments of the Department of Gender Studies. I'm going to look at these two. I'm like, hmm, looks like. Looks like the alumni for the business program is actually earning more money. Let me look at the gender studies program. Uh, 
I don't, I don't, I don't see a lot of deep pockets over there. Which program do you think is likely to be more cut? You know, it's it's such a it's in a way it's such simple math. There's a lot of factors that come into it. I mean, you need to add the uh, the supply and demand of different programs, and um, each school is going to have different priorities as well. So that's something to consider. But the the point of this is to show that the math doesn't lie. Numbers don't lie. Um, and I don't care how many students and faculty don't like that. If they can't do the math, then then that's their problem. And maybe they shouldn't be in college if they can't even do simple math and simple economics. Lastly, I want to look at something that I think is is emerging trend. So I've mentioned those two pillars, right? Uh, the student faculty and the, the di- faculty dispute with the administrations, as well as the useless degrees and resources that will happily be cut. I'm really excited about that. Um, and I'm, I think the vast majority of people uh, who have half a brain do. But a number three is the one that I think I'm really looking forward to see. And that is the, the private sector, I think, is going to be offering programs that are going to replace degrees. And I'm, I'm not, I say this as a college graduate. I'm not, I think we should still have college degrees. Don't get me wrong. But the people who, need to go through the four-year degrees, they need to be able to land jobs that require that amount of time and work. It's it's not a sustainable solution. It's not fiscal, fiscally responsible and morally responsible to tell students that they have to take student loans that and make them in debt for years and years before they can amount to anything Um it's also irresponsible to force people to do degrees that no one cares about. Uh, we need to be a lot more resourceful. And the private sector already has started that. Uh, I just read something from April of 2020. It's saying that Google, big tech company, as you know, is launching professional courses that are going to teach candidates on how to perform their jobs. And they're called Google Career Certificates. And what they do is that they provide skill-based training for those who are looking for jobs. No doubt that it's a bit of a pipeline for Google in itself. And it's homemade. It's built for them. And so they know exactly who they can hire. It facilitates the process. They don't have to worry about some kid who goes through college and wondering whether or not he can still put two and two together. Uh, Here's what the senior vice president of global affairs at Google said, Mr. Kent Walker. He said, college degrees are out of reach for many Americans, and you shouldn't need a college diploma to have economic security. We need new, accessible job training solutions from enhanced vocational programs to online education to help America recover and rebuild, unquote. Now, Now, he sounds like a politician, honestly, and one whom people will listen and be like, maybe this is a new era for greater opportunity. Maybe college uh, should be only for those who actually need it. Um, I look at this and say, wouldn't it be so much easier if we knew that there were ways for people to be innovative, 
that people could cut time on their education. If you had more time, if you get the same amount of education done, maybe you had the same amount of fun. I mean, you can't be, uh, hopefully no one out there is studying 24-7, but if you could have a good amount of fun and excitement while also cutting down the time to do your education, think about how much more in life you could have. Uh, I'm excited to see what companies, not just Google, but hopefully small startups as well. I hope that, that they open up apprenticeship jobs. Um, what, there's nothing wrong with training to be an electrician because everyone's still going to be using electricity. I still, th- I still think there should be a, a supply demand for electricians or for uh, those who want to work as car mechanics. I have a friend who went to college, went for four years. He could have done so much better. This is what he told me. He said he could have done so much better had he done an apprenticeship. Would have done the apprenticeship maybe get a little money on the side, know how to work the job, and he could just enter right in because he's already in the pipeline. Um, and as we kind of see the public sector cutting funding, look at the states, as I mentioned earlier. In fact, as an example, University of South Florida, USF, trustees approved a $36.7 million uh, cut in anticipation of the state legislature essentially approaching them saying, look, we are not going to be able to spend the amount of money that you usually were, were able to spend. So I think these are the kinds of pillars that we need to really think about. I mentioned the disputes. I mentioned how higher education uh, is going to maybe have a lot fewer, hopefully a lot fewer useless degrees uh, that belong nowhere else but the garbage. And I also hope that there will be an innovation side to it because we can't just be cutting programs and being satisfied with what's left. Now, we need to incentivize people to come up with new ways so that people can have more time. Imagine if you had more time to um, to go out and have fun, to spend time with family, to go on vacation. I think these are the things that we need to be excited about. And, and that's why I believe and I hope that this will be a part of how we re-envision higher education. These, this conversation is going to keep going. And we're going to have guests on and we're going to have amazing dialogues about the role of higher education, how we can improve it, um, not to mention the lack of uh, diversity when it comes to different viewpoints on college campuses. That has been a big issue. Uh, but today I want to just focus on a bit of the money aspect and knowing that I think as we move forward, as we finish up the vaccine rollout and we start looking at some kind of a, a normal, new normal or old normal, whatever you want to call it, um, we'll have to keep the, these these things in mind. And with that, I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you like this podcast, make sure you, you subscribe and share with your friends and family. I really appreciate your help in spreading the word about this show. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. Until next time.